Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment, a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, it's me, Amara. Welcome to the Translash Podcast, a show where we tell trans stories to save trans lives. This month, the Translash team is taking some much-needed time for rest and relaxation. So we'll be replaying some of our favorite episodes that we think are definitely worth a second listen. Today, I'm happy to share one of my own personal favorites, one about sex, kink, and trans liberation with BDSM educator and sex worker advocate, ZR. But first, let's start as always with trans joy. Something that always brings me joy is seeing trans people celebrate pleasure. Who doesn't get a kick out of that? We live in a world that's so influenced by puritanical ideas of sex and sexuality, so the pressure to hide our embrace of sex and sexual pleasure is real, all the way real. But a company that's doing their best to help trans folks experience pleasure and have fun in their bodies is Cute Little Fuckers. Cute Little Fuckers is a sex toy company that makes shame-free, gender-inclusive, vibrating sex toys shaped like adorable little monsters. Step Tronovich, the founder of Cute Little Fuckers, really wanted something that would bring lightness and fun and joy into the sexual experience for our community. Here's what they had to say about it. All of our toys have their own names and pronouns and dislikes. For example, our first toy was Princess Puppy Puss pronouns or they, them, or the royal we. Their favorite things are pizza and butt stuff. Uh, <laughs> very relatable. Very relatable. And yeah, so they all have their own personalities. They are all these own cute characters. I want people when they're going to a store and trying to get their first toy, you know, they see so many toys. They're like, oh, that's a little too intense. I don't know what to do with that. And just feeling that emotional baggage. And then they see cute little fuckers smiling at them and they go, I can do that. That's not intimidating. That's fun. I could take this home. This can be my little friend and we can explore together. And that's not just okay. Suddenly I'm not thinking about my shame and how I need to overcome it. I'm just thinking about how cute and fun this thing is. Step, you are trans joy. Today I'm joined by ZR, a BDSM instructor with knowledge and expertise on the kinkier side of sexuality with a commitment to sexual liberation. Z is heavily involved in building community and sharing knowledge through their work as vice president at Kink Out, a space for performance, art collaboration, BDSM events, and more. 
Moreover, they're actively fighting to defend and expand the rights of sex workers as the director of communications at the Sex Worker Project of the Urban Justice Center. They also have worked for the LGBTQ Center in New York City, among other organizations. And if that wasn't enough, Z teaches at the John Jay College of Criminal Justice and has a master's degree in social work from Columbia University. Z, I'm thrilled to welcome you to our sex episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Amara. I really appreciate you taking the time to allow me to amplify my voice. Of course, of course. So before we get into some more specifics, I would love for you to define what kink and BDSM is. Because, you know, there's a wide range of perception about what those terms mean. So can you just describe for us what that is? Yes. BDSM stands for bondage, discipline, sadomasochism. And I know that most people know about S&M, but they don't know as much about BDSM. So the reason why I am involved in BDSM is because it doesn't just involve this kind of hierarchical way of dealing with people. Like you're either a dom or you're either a sub. It's like everything also in between and also involves switching. But what it also does is really help people become more creative when it comes to how they connect to others sexually And that involves many different types of fetish. Specifically, what I love to do is spank therapy, for example, which opens up the root chakra and actually is a practice that helps people to get more into their body. And also if they do feel like they're kind of detached from their sexuality in their root chakra center, it helps open that up. Of course, I also like to be spanked, so that's why I love to do it and know how it feels. So that's more of a exchange that I like to have in community with folks. So it's just not just always me. And also with discipline and bondage, like I really love to do bondage with chains specifically. And I actually had experience of doing that at uh, Rome Bondage Week when I was living in Europe. And I really enjoyed and learned so much about how bondage is not just about what we unfortunately correlate to slavery. It's also about just sensory deprivation and trust. And also sometimes, you know, erotically, you don't want to have to do anything. (laughs) So when people like to be tied up, it's something that actually helps them receive more pleasure and get out of their head. But then the sadomasochism piece, of course, still exists. So, you know, some people like to be flogged. They like to receive pain and others like giving pain to those who want that consensually. And it's a way to take your power back. Also, if you've experienced a lot of trauma. So, I see it all more as a healing connector to how I can experience life. And that's why I call it BDSM therapy. (laughs) So I think that that's really interesting because, of course, the stereotype is that these sexual practices are about um, either punishment or pain uh, in a negative way or some type of of disorders, right? A lot of times Uh in movies and that sort of thing, when people engage in BDSM, it's always a part of their being a psychopath or some sort of really negative connotation associated with these sexual practices. But one of the things that you do through your term BDSM therapy is center the fact that for a lot of people, and I have to say, I have heard this from so many people, that their BDSM practices actually are a form of therapy and have helped them to release and move through trauma. So can you just talk about that particular piece of this sexual experience of BDSM as therapy? 
Yes. And I'll just give you a little bit more background, too, because I learned more about BDSM when I lived in Berlin. And what I realized is like, wow, it's so different to learn about yourself when it comes to sex and sexuality in a consent based culture, because that is the keyword consent. So that is how um, I was able to change my perspective around what SNM was about and then open my world to what BDSM was. So I just wanted to put that out there as something more historical because I didn't actually know myself. My first exposures were also um, like nine and a half weeks and like 50 Shades of Grey. I mean, that actually was, those are very white centered ways of thinking about um, kink. And so for me as a BIPOC genderqueer person, I want to see myself more in, in BDSM and really express who I am um, as a kinkster and the therapeutic part for me was also just realizing like, I don't need to be shamed for this um, because before I moved to Amsterdam, I definitely felt like I had to hide all of the kinky feelings I had. I didn't feel like I had a community. I was married at the time too, to someone who actually shamed me. They called me hypersexual, for example. That was something I had to get rid of when I moved to Europe because I realized like I was brainwashed <laughs> People call the States a rape-based culture for a reason because people are used to violation and trauma when it comes to sex and sexuality and also people just taking sex and not wanting to pay for it. So really a lot of the learning was me leaving this environment and realizing who I am as a kingster, and that was very healing in itself. And then also understanding that actually taking your power back has to do with A, consenting, um, all the time, having really clear boundaries and agreements with folks, and also realizing that everything that's being done is with care. What makes it therapeutic for people, and what are some examples, either for yourself or others that you've come across, where this type of sexual practice has been therapeutic for people and liberatory? Well, initially, it was just play. Like I really learned the most about spanking at play parties in Amsterdam. And then I was told I was really good at spanking. And then when I thought about it, I was like, okay, well, what does this involve? When I had my first client, they were like, you know, I've been so sexually detached from myself that I don't even feel erotic when I'm having sex. I'm not even feeling myself. I'm feeling like I'm just providing a service for someone else. And this is somebody who wasn't a sex worker, but we can do that actually as a sex worker because you are kind of separating yourself sometimes from your client. You're just doing a job and you're not actually trying to feel yourself. But when people want to feel themselves and they might hire you to do so, they will ask, for example, to escalate the spanking. And, you know, the spanking process, of course, has to do with them giving me safe words too. Like, tell me when you feel like this is too much, too little, do you want more? Do you want less? Again, they're guiding what their desire is from me. So they are telling me what they want. So that already is healing and empowering because a lot of people, even in their quote unquote normal sex life, have a hard time creating boundaries or telling somebody what they want in the moment because they think it's going to ruin it. Where in BDSM therapies, there's nothing that's ever going to ruin that if you're wanting to have something done to you and you're asking either a sex worker or another kinkster to do it, it's all about you taking your power and letting them know what you desire versus the other way around. So first of all, that part is healing. But once people get more into their bodies, I'll use the spanking one again, because a lot of times people experience trauma through spanking, like they're in trouble. Uh, they got like, especially through childhood, sometimes people have been abused uh, physically 
But the thing that reverses that is asking somebody to do this for you so that you can have a different experience with it really can turn around that trauma and really take you out of just this idea that the spanking means that you're a bad person. The spanking can also mean that you have a nice ass. It can mean that it helps you feel more eroticized when you're having sex. Some people spank while having sex. And the vibration of spanking is itself very therapeutic. So there's both the relationship building, which is healing and therapeutic. And then there's the feeling on the body that becomes therapeutic, especially when someone's starting to feel eroticized again when they weren't before. Yeah, and I think that that's a really important point that you are bringing up, which is that these are embodiments and ways of being that people are requesting and that they are taking control, regardless of what they're engaged in through BDSM or kink. Mm -hmm. And that in and of itself is empowering. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to just get your perspective from you as someone who is non-binary and For many of us who are a part of the trans community, the disembodiment from our bodies is a hallmark of our experience, right? Yeah. Um, And living in a world that has tried to erase us and erase our body presence. But BDSM is doing the exact opposite. So can you just talk about for you how this work may be healing and the special ways in which BDSM or sexual embodiment can can be for us, how important it is? It's really important because, first of all, like there's so much more you can do besides missionary sex. And that includes doggy style. That includes all the different positions that you might see in the Kama Sutra book. There's other parts of your body that you can experience. There's other holes in the body. There's your mouth, there's your ears, there's your nose. And a lot of times people don't understand that unless they learn BDSM because it actually is something you need to learn as well. I will say that I learned more when I was in Amsterdam because I was able to finally just be in a circumstance where I can just be purely myself without any judgment. No one knew me when I moved there. And I remember I asked this one trans woman who's a dom, very amazing dom, I was like, I saw the way you were flogging. Can you just flog me also? I want to I feel that on my back. And she's like, well, in what way would you like me to do it? So we had a little conversation, and then she t- asked me my safe words, and then flogged me for about 30 minutes. And I felt like such a titillating energy in my whole body because I felt like I just regained some of the, the erotic energy that I wanted to experience that I've never experienced before. And that was just through the flogging without anything else happening. So I was like, wow, I feel really like wet, literally. (laughs) And also I I have to say, like, I do porn as well. And so in doing porn, I decided like, oh, I don't see anybody that looks like me in any of these films. Even when I went to Amsterdam and went to the porn library, you know, Amsterdam is like the sex work capital because people know about the red light district all around the world. So you can see live sex performances to going to shops and seeing like a really wide range of porn, right? All types. But the black section is usually just the same, black ass and black pussy. Nothing else was there really. So I was like, I need to figure out how to see myself more in film. So I started doing film for that reason. I wanted to show different bodies. I wanted to be a part of porn uh, companies that actually wanted to show different BIPOC bodies that are genderqueer. And uh, even I started working with Aorta, here, which is another company that's actually in the States. 
that shows a more diverse set of what we call gender queer fuckery. So I feel like it's really progressive to be able to, again, be in your own body and understand you're unique and you don't need to be like anybody else and your body does not need to look like anybody else's bodies. And that takes me out of this kind of binary paradigm where you need to either have hips in a certain way if you're femme or you need to look a certain way as a butch. I don't really have those kind of dichotomies. I feel like I have all of that and and then some. (laughs) And I like to explore and connecting with other folks in kink community, like all the different aspects of their cells and their bodies that are beautiful. And I like to also amplify that and also use words of affirmation towards that so that people can feel more empowered. Can you just talk a little bit about what the perception was of your life and your body before you began to engage in BDSM and then afterwards? That is to say, how has your experience and practice changed you as a person? Well, initially, before I moved out of the States, I was married and I was in what I call a homonormative dynamic where my ex-wife was really wanting a high femme partner. I was serving this high femme role at the time and I thought like, okay, I'm going to try this out. It's not really fully me, but this is what I'm going to do right now. And then I wanted to really explore my eroticism more. And the thing that was here for me at that time was burlesque. When I started doing burlesque, it was a more high femme, like definitely wearing more heels, doing more pole work, all these things I love to do. And I still think that they were good skills, but there were things I thought I had to do in order to explore my sexuality. And burlesque at that time for me was still pretty limited because I did feel like there weren't a lot of gender queers in my burlesque scene, which was called Brown Girls Burlesque. And I was like, I don't actually identify necessarily as a girl or a femme, but I can serve that role. <laughs> so I did serve that role and I had fun doing it for a little bit. And then I started feeling like really kind of depleted. Like I'm just performing for others and this is not feeding me. Like I'm not feeling like I'm getting what I need back, this type of performance. So I feel like exploring more when I left that scene really helped me to understand like, it's okay, I can be hard and it doesn't mean that I have to be butch. Like I still don't need to serve a specific role. I can just explore these different aspects of myself. And, you know, some things I might have explored that I liked and other things I didn't like. For example, I do like bondage with chains, but I would not like a white person to bond me because I still feel this dynamic. When I was in Rome, for example, the thing that was really interesting there was like I was asked to be part of Rome Bondage Week. I was the only person teaching bondage with chains. I was the only black genderqueer person also in what they call the doming position. Um, And... They asked me who my submissive would be, and I said, well, definitely I would like to explore other Black people within the scene, which are not that many. But I was able to work with Ambrita Sunshine, who is an Italian woman who is cis, but she's from Sierra Leone. So she's an African-Italian woman. And I feel like our dynamic was very different than the rest of the dynamics because it wasn't this hierarchical thing. It was more like... I asked her, what does she want? And I offered it to her and she would give me a meow if she liked it. (laughs) And then we started to learn more about what each other likes. And I actually love to see someone receive pleasure. 
So that was really eye-opening for me because it was the first time I actually felt like, okay, I'm working with another BIPOC person on something that we normally have issues with. Anything with chains and bondage is really, really a sensitive topic for a lot of BIPOC folks for a good reason, right? So for me, it was also healing. We were able to heal together. And Brita was like, thank you so much at the end of it because she was like, the people who are bonding me are white Italians, normally white cis men. So even just being in that scene as somebody different and feeling like confident in who I am was really empowering, not just for me, but for others who a couple other black people also that were like, oh, my God, I'm so glad that you're here. It was really more poignant than I even understood it would be when I first entered the scene, because there's just not many of us. You were talking about kind of the progression where at first you were in this homonormative relationship and gender roles and high femme, and then you started to do then you started to do burlesque and started to understand that, oh, well, maybe my gender identity is different. And I'm just wondering if you can just pick up that progression from like doing burlesque now, like how engaging in different practices shifted your own sense of, of who you were and brought you closer to yourself. Can you just pick up kind of that thread? Yeah, I was only able to feel like I was exploring the femme side of myself or what I would call the yin. And I really want to get more into my yang. So so I feel like the thing that helped me um, get more into the yang side of myself, I got divorced. I realized my ex-wife at the time wanted me to play a certain role all the time and did not like my yang side. So I was like, I cannot be in this situation where I'm feeling trapped. And then I started to break out of the mental prison of gender. I actually just broke out of the shell of what people thought I should be based on burlesque. And as a performer, I also stopped performing in my relationship. So that helped me start to realize more of who I am as an individual and that I do not feel like I need to serve a gender role. I feel like my sexiness has continuously evolved as an energy because it's not actually about any type of gendering. It's about real connection Those connections have to do with something beyond gender for me and whoever I'm with. And I feel like that is why I go more into the therapeutic realm of why I do erotic work. There are a lot of people in our community who, as a part of gender and our gender journeys, have engaged in kink and BDSM. And what do you think at the core is this connection between embodiment and kink? Like what's at the core of this practice that is a part of bringing people more into the present and more into themselves? Because that's what it really seems like you're talking about happens. Yeah, it's it's um, really getting more into your spirit, which is stronger than the body. It's not, it's not as superficial when you're actually connecting with someone around what you want and what you desire because it's not based on society. It's not based on what other people think of you. It's based on what you actually want. And I think as a person who definitely loves beyond gender, I mean, I am not going after anyone based on gender. I'm not connecting to people based on gender. I really feel like within the kink community, there's just more folks that are more about that. They're more about like, how are you feeling internally? What is it that you're getting out of this? Like having those conversations actually as part of the practice versus like, we're just going to fuck. I think that for me as a genderqueer person, I like more depth and I like to get deeper into how I'm feeling internally and not think about my external appearance. 
And I like to help other people do that too through sensory deprivation. Like blindfolding is a thing that really helps because when you blindfold someone, you can really start to see how they're reacting without having to look, which is different. It's like you're going inside instead of being outside of yourself. So we are all, of course, I feel like as trans and GNC folks, um, we often are like realizing like people are seeing us on the outside and they're making assumptions and they think that they know who we are. And in fetish and BDSM work, it's not about your external appearance as much as about your internal feeling. Super powerful. One of the things you're talking about is through this experience, understanding that our spirit is bigger than our body. So we're actually breaking boundaries. Like there's nothing more trans than that. So Mm -hmm. it's just a really powerful notion. But in this idea of breaking boundaries, there are other ways in which expanding beyond limitations to see new things You've incorporated beyond your sex work, Mm -hmm. such as your work in John Jay in teaching criminal justice. And what has your experience with BDSM, how has it influenced the way in which you see the world and the way that you teach other people about breaking limitations that are imposed on us through all the isms? That is to say, destroying otherism so that we can actually be who we are as humans. That's also a part of your work. So how has that influenced that piece of you? When I teach, I'm always really thinking of the things that I didn't learn. The lecturing style, I really ask um, my students to think critically and to be honest. And I think that's the only way you can learn from others. So I'm also very open about being a sex worker in my class, which is not something most teachers do. So even when I'm talking about, you know, different gender constructs and and when I talk about constructions of difference, I also bring in sex work. Um, I bring in sex and sexuality and how we've been influenced to think a certain way about those things without actually getting to know ourselves. So I really try to take all of the brainwash that I experienced in my life and flip that on its head and also allow an open-minded, critical thinking, safe space um, when I'm teaching so that people can really be honest about their own process because we're all on our own journey. There's no right or wrong answer, right or wrong way. It's more like, where are you with yourself? And who are you separate from what you thought you were supposed to be? Like when we're born, for example, you know, we're born in... You know, very intuitive, I feel like, and maybe this is a Buddhist stance as well, but it's like once you are you come out of the womb, you then become infiltrated by other people's thoughts. It's not your own. It's like you get further and further away from your intuition. You get further and further away from your spirit because you think like, first of all, somebody says you're a boy or a girl. Somebody already told you that. You didn't even get to decide who you were at all. <laughs> and then from there, your family, your environment, and then society you infiltrated with all this information that's telling you who you should be instead of who you really are. So I feel like I really try to help people understand that they should try to separate from like who are they separate from their family, their and what they're told to be based on their family and cultural um, community sometimes too, because, you know, we also, in my colorism class, we talk about cultural constructs and how within colorism, we our our own worst enemy. We are telling each other who's better within our own communities based on skin color, which is all a construct. So really try to help people realize like their unique selves is the most important to explore, not just what other people think of them. And even though we're all going to be under the influence, we need to find ways to detox 
we need to find ways to deprogram from all of the mess that has, has kind of controlled how we think about ourselves because it really does create a lot of depression in our community, a lot of suicidal ideation. So with teaching, that's where I go with that. Oof. Super powerful. And my, my last question is, in this summer where we might get a chance to return to a more normal way of sexual being in terms of people being able to meet people that they don't know and to have experiences with them. What do you say to people who want to begin to explore new ways of sexual embodiment or BDSM, but might be worried because of the limitations that society put on them? What advice do you give to people who want to begin to explore, but may fear for a number of reasons? I actually tell them about kink out because that's actually been my saving grace since I've been back in New York. I was like, the kink out community is queer, it's diverse, culturally diverse, and we have skill sharing. We teach each other things and nobody's expected to go into a play party with kink out and be like, I have to have sex or I have to do this thing or I have to. No, you don't have to do anything but be yourself. So that's the first thing. And then after that, you might have conversations with people. You might just get to know folks in the scene. There's no pressure to do anything you never want to do. I feel like it's kind of hard to find because of our limitations in the States specifically. I think that sometimes when people um, ask for advice online, I actually sometimes send them some information about BIPOC-focused events within the queer community because there's usually like one or two, but if you don't know, then you might just feel isolated. I think it's about building those communities out even more. And that's what I'm aiming to do through Kink Out. And also I'm a part of the Sex Workers Liberation Project with Black and Pink right now too. And we're doing uh, like a retreat in Atlanta next month to really talk about how can we create more safer BIPOC kink spaces because we kind of have to learn how to embrace ourselves more. We don't really just go into scenes knowing and feeling. Like initially too, when I was going into play party and kink scenes, I was like really one of the only BIPOC genderqueer person who's black. And there's a lot of fetishism there and a lot of exoticism there. So I would like to just continue to help people by creating spaces that are safer for us, that we can explore within And I'm going to have to add this part, too. Part of it has to do with accountability work, too, because unfortunately, sometimes in our smaller scenes, there's always going to be somebody or something that's happening drama based that it makes somebody uncomfortable, usually in scenes. So I try to make sure that, A, we create scenes that are drama free. People have to feel like they're not being judged and being gaslit and all these things in order to feel comfortable in space. So there's that. And then there's also just creating and expanding more BIPOC only spaces within the kink scene, because I do think that we need that. Similar to how sometimes we need to branch off and have our own discussions and own groups in general when we're talking about our rights. The same thing within kink. Well, thank you so much. This has been a really rich and wide-ranging conversation. And I just appreciate you for the broadness of your thought and the way in which you are applying the personal liberatory practice and practices that you've learned from BDSM and sexual embodiment to help to free others, both physically and mentally. I think it's really powerful. And so thank you. 
Thank you, Amara. I really appreciate being here and having this conversation. I also really appreciate the fact that y'all exist, the Translash podcast, but also as an organization. I think it's really important that, that we have more of these types of discussions. Thank you for joining me on the Translash podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. You can listen to Translash wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on the web at translash.org to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Translash Media. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. The Translash podcast is produced by Translash Media. The Translash team includes Oliver Ash Klein and Aubrey Calloway. Xander Adams is a contributing producer to the show and our sound engineer. Digital strategy is handled by Daniela Capistrano. The music you heard was composed by Ben Draghi and also courtesy of ZZK Records. The Translash podcast is made possible by the support of foundations and listeners like you. Mm-hmm.